1.3. Engineering the future. Taking a look using GICS, the Global Industrial Classification System, to account for the scientific and technological capabilities we currently possess. To achieve basic economic security in the form of the American middle class lifestyle for all humanity, we must harness and scale up industry as we know it. We already know how to do this stuff. We already have actors on the stage. We already have people that know how to do it, firms that know how to do it, governments that know how to do it. We already have R&D and scientific, scientific and R&D funding mechanisms in place to continue to, to build it out and to get better and improve. Now, I've made arguments before that we should probably have high watermarks in some of this stuff, and certainly we should never let government become more than 30% GDP, simply because, because that could be the tendency when things get too powerful, any one group, is they become tyrannical. So we should always just have that somewhat arbitrary 30% cap. Beyond that, the wealth of government goes back to the citizenry. However, government should first and foremost articulate the societal goals, the societal wants and needs, and do it in such a clean and swift manner that they are, they are, in, they are by default the leaders in that sphere. They're not forcefully leading, they're leading by example. For example, in areas of, of engineering, and in, 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 in areas of the, that'll be outlined here in the, in the GICS, the Global <coughs> Industrial Classification System, government would take a lead role in helping identify the gaps and shortcomings morning so that they could help target help target R&D efforts help provide some of the funding to do some of the R&D efforts like for example let's say we get into a raw material like the lumber industry and if the lumber industry right now says I can only render to market this quantity of lumber for the construction industry and if we're going to scale up from where we are now, which is the American middle class lifestyle, is obtainable, let's say, in terms of uh, 10 or 20 million housing units a year. And now, in this country, we've decided, both for reasons of creation of the new and rejuvenation of the old and decrepit real estate, we're now going to push that figure towards 50 or 100 million housing units. So we're, let's, we're going to go up, let's say, by a factor of let's start with 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 five so we're going to make the lumber industry just to build the nice american middle class lifestyle now the, the homes housing units that we ha that we already know that we're familiar with that we that we like you know here in florida for example i see new homes all the time in this area that i'm at they're all they're they're beautiful they're very beautiful they're functional they're loaded with the latest in amenities and and they're and they're nice they're engineered for good living tall ceilings Good insulation, good soundproofing, gotta run away from the mowers. So, if the lumber industry is currently producing with relative ease enough lumber to build, let, let's say, 10 million homes, 
we're going to multiply that times five to build 50 million homes, just in the United States. And you can see how you can still scale globally. But let's, let's focus on the American case for now. So government's role would be like, hey, lumber industry, are there any real blockers to you doing that? Like, what would it take? What, what, what would you need from us to make that real? Do you need us to provide a little leadership on getting permitting in areas that you currently can't harvest lumber? Do you need government R&D so that you could genetically modify certain strands of lumber so that you could maybe use existing plots to, to turn faster? Would it make sense to have government help you grow things hydroponically or, with, or fiber grow where you don't even grow a tree at all and hydroponically so you don't deplete the soils or you know, have too much of the same crop in nature? These are the types of things and the types of roles government would have. They don't mandate. They're a friend. They're an extra set of eyes, an extra set of ears, an extra set of brain power an extra source of funding. People, they just stay in the game of, of science and try to understand things and sharing that information with industry. Industry, as it's currently structured, accounts for and rewards some of the entrepreneurial zeal and, and incentives to do for people to want to do. So we don't want to destroy that. It seems worth preserving. So the idea of scaling up the status quo, yes, you, sta- you, you do step up and scale up some of the in- existing inequality. But in a, soci- in a society that's first and foremost oriented around baseline economic security for all, the assumption here is that if the good life is obtainable for everyone and everyone gets to a certain level of economic security, then it won't really matter. And sure, there'll be those who really are petty and want more. Like, they'll just inevitably will be envious of someone who has more. That is a discussion, a whole different realm. But based on economic security and the correspond, and more importantly, the corresponding bandwidth of time and self-improvement and family improvement and societal improvement that would come with addressing baseline economic security... That will yield lots of fruit for the majority of humanity. There is no such thing as utopia. There is no such thing as everyone just being happy. But you can remove the primary stressors, the primary sources of deception, the primary sources of violent action and warfare. You can remove or mitigate most of that by addressing baseline economic security for all. Now, the exciting thing is that we know how to do this. We're rendering these goods and services to market already. This is stuff we know how to do. There may be blockers, there may be hurdles in each industry that, again, government, among other actors, can help mitigate or help get through or help figure out or help develop another way. So, according to the GICS, There are several industrial groups, the energy group, the materials group, capital goods group, the commercial and professional services group, transportation group, 
automobile and components group, the consumer durables and apparel groups, consumer services, retailing, food, and staples retailing, food, beverage, and tobacco, household and personal products, healthcare equipment and services, pharmaceutical, biotechnology and life sciences, banks, diversified financials, insurance, software and services, technology, hardware and equipment, semiconductors and semiconductor equipment, communication services, media and entertainment, utilities, and lastly, the real estate group. These are the large <clears throat> categories labeled as the industry groups within the GICS schema. This is not the only schema used to try and index and organize human industry, but it's a common one, and I had to pick one to get started for this project. They all do the same thing. In effect, they just try to group things based on what industry they're in. Now, the energy industry. Today, the energy industry is one of the larger ones. It's, it's, it's money is all through our political systems, and it's created tremendous mobility and freedom for humanity, even though it's much maligned right now. A lot of folks have jumped on fashionable bandwagons to vilify and attack the energy energy industry, completely ignoring the fact that their lights have always worked, especially, again, we're focusing on the American case, that their lights have always worked, that their heat has always worked, and that their cars work, and there's fuel to put in them, and they've had the freedom and luxury of living in that beautifully air-conditioned and modern convenience world. Now, does the energy industry need to change? Absolutely. We've reached a point where it's time to, to move away from some of the fossil fuels. But we need to do it in a pragmatic way. And that's where participation and supporting of an eco-pragmatist political party movement that finds voice, gives voice to ecologically pragmatic messages in politics, in our leadership. That's why it's very important. Because an ecologically pragmatic system would acknowledge and appreciate what the energy industry has done and put forth ideas to pragmatically, in other words, realistically, and with the least harmful impact and the most useful way to bridge to a new reality. So, for example, again, the government role here. What are the blockers in batteries? Are there blockers in batteries? Or is it yet another example of vested interest groups trying to hoard technology and intellectual property and prevent the mass adoption for selfish reasons? I really don't know. In future versions of this book, because there will be future editions, we can explore some of those blockers. But the energy industry is a behemoth. And it is a useful prism from which to view much of the history of the 20th century. You really can understand actions in places like Iran, tensions in the Middle East, the behaviors of modern Russia, 
some of the failings of societies in, 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 in South America, for example, Venezuela. When you look at these power structures in these situations, often you peel back and you'll find that energy and the money of the energy industry was at, at the root cause of whatever was going on. Vladimir Putin has extreme power and strength right now, for example, in modern Russia due to the energy industry. He's not the only one. I just wanted to cite a specific example. So, at the end of the day, if we're going to scale up and provide five times the electricity to support basic or, uh, uh, basic economic security, baseline economic security for all in the form of the American middle class lifestyle, you'll have to scale up the electricity and the natural gas and any other energy form factors by five for the sake of our numbers. So again, if you're, if you're creating 10 million units of, of, of energy now to supply, reliably supply, energy, sorry about the trucks. If you're supply, if you're, if the ener- energy industry is currently supplying 10 million units of energy to support current ec- economic activity in the United States, and it's reliably doing so day in, day out, for decades, then if you, as you scale up baseline economic security, uh, the, like, for example, the housing by a factor of five, for the sake of easy numbers, let's assume you scale up the energy by a factor of five. Now, we all know this is where the propaganda, misinformation, and bad leadership, and just deception bullshit is, is killing us. Is it people will immediately start pouncing? Well, we can't, the earth can't handle five times the energy production. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Five times more energy does not mean five times more coal burn. Does not mean five times more natural gas burn. Does not mean five times more gasoline and diesel and kerosene burn. It could mean five times more nuclear power. Five times more hydro, if it's available. Five times more energy with something more exotic that science, research and development and good leadership can provide. For example, why are homes still not solar paneled at their roofs? Is it cosmetic, is it aesthetic, or is the technology really not ready for prime time? Again, that's the role of government. Figure that out. I'm currently walking past a very nice practical building with metal roofing. If you could obtain the same performance characteristics, life, this in this particular climate, high wind factorization for if there's a hurricane event, and capture energy from the sun, especially here in a place like Florida, if you could do that, then why are we not doing it? And if we can't do it, why? What are the blockers? So you see, it may be possible to scale up I would suggest it is possible to scale up energy production by a factor of five, five times more 
assuming we need that much, by the way. Without total environmental and ecological destruction. Because you put that in the, in the mix. You want to do it in such a way that it minimizes the effect of the environment. And the pragmatism comes into play that you know, and anybody being honest knows, that to pragmatically provide energy at the scale and reliability and convenience that modern societies demand, you, you're not just going to get rid of it. Anyone who comes to the table with absolute banning of fossil fuels and we can't burn anything anymore and we're going to have this huge government program and schema worldwide to vilify, attack, and imprison and make it criminal to do so, that is a no non-starter. That will not work. That is not pragmatic. An alliance of industry and governmental groups laying forth, hey, we want a certain level of comfort in life as a human in the form of the baseline economic security and the American middle class lifestyle that would have this kind of energy requirement, which again, in this country, to make the numbers easy, we're seeing five times more energy. How do we produce five times more energy without doing more environmental or ecological damage than we're doing now? You'll see that electricity produced with nuclear power plants having all buildings and structures have some type of solar capture capability and or battery, assuming those technologies are actually working the way to go. I would think so. These buildings all sit out in the sun here. Supposedly solar power works. I don't understand why they wouldn't sit here and charge batteries all day and use commercial grid power as a backfill. Doesn't seem to make sense to me unless the real reason is there's some resource in batteries that's just limited in supply or the technology really isn't ready for prime time. It's just not ready yet. Moving on to the materials business. It's often said that the reason things aren't different is because there's a, a fixed supply. And surely, at, uh, you, uh, uh, you know, is there a fixed supply of copper, fixed supply of iron ore, fixed supply of oil, fixed supply of timber and lumber as we see it today? Yeah, if you want to look at it that way, sure. Fixed supply of polymers available due to the petroleum industry? Sure. However, at human scales, at the amounts necessary to render the basket of goods and services to support BES for everyone, supply is not an issue in the overwhelming majority of categories with rare exceptions being possibly lithium or something along those lines. Most other materials needed for the American middle class lifestyle for everyone at human scales are plentiful. There's more than we could ever use. And again, using eco-pragmatism as a political force, we can bake into the requirements and the specs. A recycling, a true recycling where it's easy. You buy a car, you use a car, you return a car. When it's done, it goes into a recycling loop. And a lot of this is already done, but we can do better. So your materials are recaptured. We're starting to see this now. For example, you recycle electronics because there's a lot of precious metals in electronics. It's been labor intensive to extract them. And it, there's some 
some challenges that still need to be addressed. But again, government can help. Doesn't dictate. It's not the only player, but that's the role of an ecologically pragmatic political force. And a government, government good leadership is that it would force, it would keep focus, rather, on where the blocks are. And help develop ways around. Our rep is up here. I'll be back starting with capital goods. Just gonna do a little little due diligence and I gotta change gears and get on to something else now. Y'all have a good day out there. Take it easy.